0: everybody! Welcome to the Pixix Podcast. Maybe a little bit of Brady Quinn football show. No, it's not special Brady Quinn football show music. That is new Pixix Podcast music. Hope you like it because it's uh, bought and paid for and it's not going anywhere. A little bit of rock step, uh, maybe a little nod to the Reverend Horty Heat Horton Heat, Brady. I'm sure you listened to him back in the day when you were trying to be a cool lad in in middle school and high school, right? I don't know what
1: the hell you're talking about. The, uh, the music is a huge downgrade compared to what we used to have.
0: Do you really, do you really uh, think I'm, so? I'm not
1: sure what that is. It's almost like a cello farted or something and it just, it keeps being played over and over again.
0: <laughs> That's actually the name of it is cello fart. Uh, cello Yeah, there you fart. go. I mean, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. I was searching for, uh, I was like, I was like, right, I gotta find, what do I want? I want ch- I want a, a wood instrument making, uh, flatulence noises. That's what I search for is wood. This in- is, this is your doing. You did this? Uh, a little bit. If we just wanted new music. We are tired of the old music. We'll see how it goes over. Maybe people will rebel openly and be irate and we'll, we'll bail. If you hate it, let me know. If you like it, let me know at Will Brinson on Twitter, at Pick on Twitter as well. That's where we have the goods, the good stuff. That's where we post our bachelorette videos, um, where we post our, uh, our funny memes bottle on Instagram is really good too social media team runs it. I'm not smart enough to run it I highly recommend you uh, check it out and you can follow Brady on Twitter at 3 RD as in third underscore a goal third underscore goal on Twitter where you uh, you're pretty you're pretty funny on Twitter actually I think you're a little underrated in terms of your humor like you're not You don't, I don't think you're a a frequent poster to social media, but when you do post and you do reply to a a comment, it's usually a high level, I would give it like an A to A minus or a B plus to A minus humor level.
1: I hate social media. I hate it so much. (laughs) Uh, It's just like, I don't, I've got to be careful because I feel there's a greater risk than reward with social media. And I just, I always remind myself, uh, don't say something that you think's funny, but could get you fired. You know, I just, I always have to remind myself of that every single time.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, uh, it's a good life lesson. I mean, I think people are like, man, don't you ever worry you're going to get fired for the stuff you say online? I'm like, no, I'm worried I'm going to get fired for the stuff I don't say online. You should see what's in my brain. Cause if I spewed out all the, all the crap that's in my head on onto on the Twitter or this podcast or into articles, I would have been fired 10 years ago. So there's that. Um, Okay, let's talk some football. This is the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, I am the proprietor of this podcast. I'll be leaving next week. I'm going on a vacation uh, with my family. So if you, uh, you'll have some fun guests. I don't I do know, Brady, are you going to host the show? Did they talk to you about that?
1: Um, I think, yeah. I think one of the shows I'm doing, one or two with Pete. So nice. basically it'll be like a, a father-son talk or more like grandfather-son talk. <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure, but. Yeah, where, where are you going on vacation, by the way? Are you at Liberty to Tell? Are you on, like, quail hunting? Like, what, what is what is the Branson family <laughs> vacation? Quail. Are you guys, guys uh, Branson-bound? Like, where are you guys going?
0: Uh, we're doing Disney World for the first time ever with ours. So we're going to surprise Robbie uh, and take him to Disney World. He doesn't know it. He's How old Robbie? Five.
1: Okay, so that's the right age. I was going to say, like, if, if you would have said four, I'd been like, oh, borderline, man. I don't, I don't remember much before I was four. Like, at five, you remember everything, you do it once, you never have to go back again.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we're not we're not surprising like a two year old. Like surprise, we're in Orlando. Um, no, we're going to uh, we're gonna go to Disney World for a couple of days. Check it out. Should be a fun time. Um, uh, got to, got an itinerary all lined up. <laughs> Very excited.
1: Uh, can Can I just segue back to, to football? Only because like that reminded me of something. So, this is so after the draft happens, right? Like everyone's got their take on the draft class, and it's way too soon. Like, how could you possibly Honestly, be able to tell anything about a draft class, a player, anything, days after the draft, right, never, and never, where he yeah. went. Right, and it reminds me of what's the YouTube kid? You know this, where like he opens up gifts, and then but other kids watch him open up gifts. Is are like Ryan's gifts or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah.
0: He makes. Do you, know, do you know how much money he makes a year?
1: Oh, he makes bank. Well, really, his parents make all the money. 20, yeah, I know he makes it, but it's like twenty-five
0: million dollars a year. He has his own TV show now too.
1: It's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: But anyway, that was like, it reminded me. I was like,
1: why do people love immediately after the draft grading these, talking about them? It's because we like either immediate gratis- gratification or we like having some sort of uh, like like judging something. Like, like if you think about the draft, it's kind of like each fan's Christmas for like what players they get, like what, sure. what toys and gifts they get. So we have to immediately grade them and judge them and see how it goes. And, like, so I was boggled by the phenomenon of, of this, like, Ryan kid or whatever his name is. Um, and, like, and the, the fact that he gets paid that much money, it's ridiculous. But and it made me think, like, why are we so fast to judge and what a rate and talk about these draft classes and what they will be? And then I realized, like, you would have a great perspective on this because you're a writer. And, like, you guys have to come out with content all the time now. So that kind of sucks, but that's your job.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, no, it does. And, look, I think, I mean, like, Ryan makes more – I mean, obviously more than I make in my writing career, but Ryan makes more per year opening up MF and presence than you made as an NFL quarterback for like seven years, right? I mean, isn't that, that's, right. that's insane. It's like 10 year old, but I, but yeah, to your point with the content stuff. It is funny because you'll, you know, we do these grades and winners and losers and, and, you know, Pete will give like a B minus to the, the Vikings draft and Vikings fans are like, are you kidding me? This is at least a B plus draft. You've lost your mind, Briscoe. And it's like, what, what you, who cares? Like it's, I mean, I, but I get it. Like there needs those relationships between the writers and the fans and the fans and the team and the, you know, and, and the team and the writers to a certain extent need to exist, um, in order for this whole thing to continue on. But yeah, it, it is, it is asinine to give out a grade, and yet at the same time, we need to do it because um, because we need to produ- produce that content. I also think you got to remember too when you're giving out a grade, a large part of that Brady is based on whoever is giving the grade, their preconceived notion about the prospects and the needs of a team right. and what a team can get, and so like. You know, it's like well, the Cardinals had a great draft. They got Byron Murphy, Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, and and then and and Kyler Murray. But if you know, if you don't like all those players, and you thought those players were bad, then you might give the Cardinals a a D plus. And um, and so from that perspective, it it, it, a lot depends. I don't know. A lot depends on on who we're you know who who it is giving the grade. They have to be trustworthy, et cetera. I think Pete is kind of trustworthy. He was on a draft show for fourteen hours with. You and me. Has
1: he not gotten soft though? Like his lowest grade this year was a C minus.
0: He won't give out. an F so I,
1: either either, yeah, he won't get out even a D. I was like, dude, where are we at? Arizona State? Are we at your alma <laughs> mater right now? You're just handing out easy grades. Like what's what's happening? There had to have been a draft class that he wasn't wild about. Like I, I was looking at one. So for example, the Houston Texans, right? Yeah. So their first round pick ends up being Titus Howard, and and, and you know he's at offensive tackle out of Alabama State. And, and I get it. The Andre Dillard went before, and the was who they were targeting. They missed out on getting him. Couldn't trade out of the pick. They feel like they had to take a guy. You know, you had a lot of quality guys. That Juwan Taylor was still there out of uh, Florida, even though he dropped, you know, further in the draft. I think some medical concerns. Greg Little was there out of old Miss. Uh, Dalton Reisner, Caleb McGarry, who ended up going later on in the first round. Like there were some other quality. Uh, tackles you could have gotten and so it was just a bit surprised that they went that direction with a guy that you know look to be quite honest i can't have a great opinion on him because i was able to watch a lot of his film he's from a smaller school it's hard to get that film but you know that was a draft that i looked at i was like well they needed to address the tackle position and they did but they literally did it with a guy from what central michigan and a guy from Alabama no- State, northern, I believe. northern
0: northern illinois. Or northern, Max, illinois. Max northern illinois yeah yeah i mean and that, that's part of the problem too it's like in our minds, you know, Jawan Taylor there would have been the better pick because we we know more about him. We've seen him play at the right tackle position in Florida. Um, you know, it, you can you can feel like you can have a concrete opinion. If they're right about Tyler Howard, then then or Titus Howard, excuse me, then then great. But you know, if the, it, it, I, I don't know. It's just a it's just it, again, it's a based on preconceived notions of what we have in terms of the draft value. So you tend to have to. It's easier sometimes to, if you have if you have teams that have been doing this for a long time. Like, it's easier to trust Bill Belichick when he goes out on the limb for a, you know, or, or the Steelers when they draft a third-round receiver from the MAC. You're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if this kid will be any good, but I'm not going to doubt Kevin Colbert drafting receivers in the middle rounds. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no. And so it kind of like segues into the conversation of it's, you know, we're, we're what, five days past the first round, six, or almost a week past the first round. And people are still giving David Gettleman crap for drafting Daniel Jones, number six overall. And I think part of it becomes this. For whatever reason, David Gettleman can't help himself, and he says stuff that he doesn't need to say. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, just say you wanted him to be your quarterback, and that's all that you need to say. You don't need to say that you knew of two other teams that would have drafted him before your seventeen pick and all that kind of stuff. You don't need to say that. Just come out and say, hey, he's our guy. We think he's the future after Eli. And whenever that happens, it happens. But that's why we took him at six. Boom, done, end of story, does not matter. That's all that, That's all you need to say. Now, I will say this. Even in saying that, even though it doesn't really leave much room for questioning his decision to take Daniel Jones at six, you would say that, well, if he really was your guy and you really couldn't pass up on him, why didn't you trade up to get him? Why wouldn't you ensure that no one trades up to two or three with San Francisco or the New York Jets in order to get him so that you can ensure that if Arizona's taking Kyler Murray, so be it. Cause we like Daniel Jones and we're going to take him a number two, or we're going to take him a number three. If, if the 49ers are dead set on Nick Bosa. So that's kind of where that doesn't hold up. And it, it's kind of like, well, if you really like him that much, why do you even leave it the chance? Like someone could have jumped ahead of you at number five and traded out with Tampa um, and, and maybe made that deal to, to draft him. If there's so many people so interested. So uh, I'm not sure his explanation even holds up when you think about it a little bit, but the bottom line is, it's now created this, I don't know, interdivision rivalry, which there's already that there, but now Bruce Allen's coming out and saying, you know, David Gettleman doesn't know what's on my draft board. And, and there's yeah. a lot of truth to that. Like, if if only John Gruden, Mike Mayock, and maybe a couple other people know what their draft board looks like within their own organization, and I've heard that's more common than not, why the hell would we think David Gettleman somehow knows what's on any other team's draft board? It just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: So, I, I, like, a couple of things just on that, and I, this is not a Giants podcast, although it, it is, the Daniel Jones thing is fascinating coming out of this draft, and it's almost hard, it's hard to get away from it. Uh, one quote I noticed from Dave Gettleman, actually first of all, I'll point out this Bruce Allen quote, because I think it's hilarious that he also, like Dave Gettleman, sort of hedged it. He said, we picked the player we wanted to pick appearing. This is Bruce Allen of the Redskins saying on NFL's total access on Tuesday night with, uh, Lindsey Rhodes. He said, I'm almost positive Dave has no clue what our draft board would be. Almost positive. How are you not a hundred? <laughs> how, how are you not a hundred percent positive? Like, like, no, of course Dave Gettleman doesn't know what your draft board is, man. There's no chance he knows. And I do think like if you're the, if, this leads me to believe two things. One, that the Redskins did enough pre-draft smoke screening that it scared the Giants because that, you know, they, they were rumored to trade up for a quarterback. You know, they were rumored to be connected with Daniel Jones throughout the process, but it does seem like they were always going to take Dwayne Haskins because of the, mainly because of the connection with Daniel Snyder. Uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins went to high school with, with Dan Snyder's son. Um, and, and then, you know, too, like that's basically why I think Gettleman probably took him at six, worried that the Redskins were going to trade up. And then the other thing is I do believe that ownership of the Giants played a large or at least medium role in leaning on David Gettleman, not saying you have to take Daniel Jones at six, but saying we think this is the guy. Do you agree? And apparently he did agree that Daniel Jones could be a franchise quarterback and then made it clear, like, do not let this guy get away from us. You know, you got two picks in the first round. If this is the guy, do not let him get away from you. And that's why Dave Gettleman was worried that if he didn't take him at six and he wasn't there at 17, the, the other quote from him that, that was weird, and this is with uh, to Albert Breer of the MMQB.com, people could speculate all day long, oh, nobody would have taken him. You don't know that, Gettleman said. There are no guarantees. So the bottom line is if you believe this kid can get to the promised land, why wait? You have to have confidence in what you're doing. You're drafting players. The team will be better. And then he continues, and this this is what threw me off. Now, what happens next year? What if you don't take it this year, and next year you're picking 22? You're going to have to move heaven and earth. This is the closest we're going to get. It made the most sense. Now, I applaud Brady, his bravado, that he thinks he'll be picking 22nd next year. I question, however, (laughs) that he thinks that – six is the closest he's going to get because he was at two last year and there were four or five franchise quarterbacks in the class. So to me, Dave Gettleman's just been all over the place and he doesn't sound like a guy who took the player that he wanted at the position he would like to take him.
1: I I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. I I think, you know, maybe if it was man, if it was um, ownership that said, Hey, look, you need to find a quarterback. This is the guy go take him there. That that could be true. I mean, we see owners get involved all the time. I mean, heck, Dan Schneider came out before the draft, and, and along with Bruce Allen, and you know he was saying like you know rumors sparked that they needed to find a quarterback. That's what they were going to do in this draft, and they found one. So you know it's it's you never know what really goes on behind closed the closed doors. But I, that's what I feel like is is kind of like funny or humorous about this whole thing is like Dan Gettleman would probably admit that. Yeah, but at the same time, he's also saying that he knows two other teams that would have traded up. Now maybe he feels close enough with David Cutcliffe, the head coach at Duke. Um, and, and his opinion, because David Cutcliffe has since come out and said that, you know, he had good intel that teams are going to take Daniel Jones. Uh, if New York Giants didn't at six, there were, there were a couple of interested parties or other teams that would have taken him. He wouldn't have lasted that much longer. The only thing I find out interesting about that is my own personal experience of being drafted in the first round. You know, Charlie Weiss reassured me based on a care package that was sent to him from the Miami dolphins, that I was one of the dolphins at number nine, mm. this was the night before the draft. So, that didn't end up working out. And a lot of things can change over the course of the top 10 picks or whatever else happens in front of you. Um, And and so regardless of what the head coach is being told or what he thinks based on his conversations with that front office, the general manager uh, or the head coach, it's irrelevant come draft day because that team's going to do what they feel like is in their best interest or that one person's going to do what they feel like is in their team's best interest. So like even to some extent, if if David Cutcliffe was your source, then I would sit there and say, well, it's not a very good source either. So <laughs> it's just funny It's just funny that we're all trying to like put together uh, and figure out what exactly took place and occurred. And, and really, in reality, look, if Daniel Jones ends up being the quarterback to succeed Eli, win a Super Bowl, be a perennial pro bowler, we're not going to be having this conversation. But if Dexter Lawrence ends up being a starter and a long-time defensive tackle, uh, all-pro player, DeAndre Baker, same thing, all-pro player, uh, but Daniel Jones ends up stinking. We're probably always going to remember the draft is, yeah, the time when David Gettleman took Daniel Jones and didn't work out. Hey, Even though the other two yeah. players are going to be viable options starters and could be two of the you know, better players in the Giants history maybe, right? And But that's just how we view quarterbacks. It's how we view this draft. So it, it is interesting to think that, like, that's really what we're going to have to look back and, and figure out in three, four, five years down the road. Maybe it's like seven years down the road because, you know, David Gettleman wants Eli Manning to play for three years and Daniel Jones to sit for three years. So uh, I'm not sure when he's going to get on the field at this point.
0: It's insane, man. What, um, not to, I don't even know if we mentioned this before the, uh, before, while you and I were doing our pre-pro text thread, but, uh, what are some other bigger takeaways you had from the draft? I mean, you were up in Stanford, Connecticut working with JLC and Eric Casilius and Mike Smith, who I thought Mike Smith, good job on that, uh, that broadcast too. I, I enjoyed that. Um,
1: but so he he did a great job. He probably kinda of that insight too about, you know, what's going on behind behind, you know, the scenes and all that, right? I'm not sure if you heard us, but you know, and I've had other coaches tell me this. Like once you get into the fourth round and, and, and moving on kind of back, you get a lot of assistant coaches to end up playing a huge role in, in who you draft and why you draft and all that because those players typically need more development and so you're much more likely to see a guy pounding the table for in the fourth the third round and later for certain players because they're the ones working with them. Sure. You know, those guys are the ones that have to be, you know, doing individuals and spending extra time and making sure they're understanding the game plan because there's clearly a deficiency there for that player. So um, it was kind of interesting to hear that perspective from it. It was interesting to hear how they would talk about trades or how they would talk about, you know, viewing certain positions. Like, for example, we use we like, we like view the first round of the draft, we're like, oh, there's 32 picks. There's not a lot of teams that look at it that way, right? You know, talking to Rick Spielman, general manager for the Minnesota Vikings yesterday, he said, look, we had 20 guys. So we felt like had first round grades in this year's draft class, Garrett Bradbury happened to be one of them. You know, and sometimes those 20 guys are different than another team's 20 guys. And sometimes those 20 guys are still available in the second round. So, you know, it's all it's, it's, you're all over the board as far as how teams grade prospects, what their scale is, where they rank them. And then where they end up drafting him, because in their eyes, they might draft kind of the second, third round sometimes that they're like, dude, we had a first-round grade of this guy. We have no idea why other teams didn't like this guy that much, right? Yeah. Um, or, or when they trade up, that's usually how that ends up working out. So it's just kind of interesting um, at, at this point to kind of sit here and look back. But getting the uh, the coach's perspective of Mike Smith and talking about um, all that, and then even Rick Spielman, for example, because and, and they had so many sixth and seventh round picks, and one of his comments was, look, some people package those together, try to trade up, move around, get certain players. He said, look, we look at it like this. It's kind of like in, uh, investing into a startup. Most people, when they, if they're an investor and they're looking at startup companies, you don't do one deal or two deals, you do 10. And, and you hope to hit a home run on maybe two of those deals and maybe hit a single here or there on one of the other ones. But that home run will hopefully offset um, the other seven or eight, whatever doesn't work out for you. And and hopefully you're you're making more money there in the long run, and that's kind of what you're hoping for with some of the sixth, seventh round picks, uh, really high upside, not a whole lot of, of you know financial you know not a whole lot of money invested into them, uh, and that's why he was saying, look, if we're going to spread our risk, have some sixth round picks, some seventh round picks, maybe there's a few guys who pop out for us that are contributors, like a Stephon Diggs who's a fifth round pick or Adam Thielen who wasn't even drafted.
0: Right, and nobody nobody sits there and says, oh my god. Do you remember when the Seahawks took James Carpenter with the twenty fifth overall pick in the first round of two thousand eleven? What a bad pick that was. You know why? Because they got K J Wright in the fourth round and Richard Sherman in the fifth round and Byron Maxwell in the sixth round and Malcolm Smith in the in the seventh round. When you hit on those later round home runs, and you could have really just said Richard Sherman there if I wanted, um, nobody cares. You know, I mean same thing, like, even if Bruce Irvin wasn't the player they always wanted him to be that 2012 first round they followed up with Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson and JR Sweezy a seventh round pick later on i mean they you know you hit those home runs and it negates maybe a mistake that you make in the first round and the idea that anybody can be perfect in in this process or anybody could have a foolproof approach to this it's like i mean it's, it's sort of like sports betting in that regard right like you can you can be really good at it but you're still going to only hit like 60% Best case scenario when you're really rolling. Like, you're not going to, you're just not going to be right all the time when you're picking NFL players.
1: Well, yeah. And look, if you do it right, you kind of hedge in some ways, too. You know, that's kind of part of it. I know it sounds kind of weird to say, but like the Seattle Seahawks, for example, you know, they, they may not get Doug Baldwin back. He might be done playing football. And sure. so, you know, they take DK Metcalf when, what, what, the third round, I believe he waited to. Uh, and then last, they take last, a guy in character.
0: Last pick of the second round.
1: Last pick of the second round. So, he goes last pick the second round and then Gary Jennings goes, you know, with fourth, fifth round, wherever he went. Um, and, and so you're kind of hedging. You're saying, look, Gary Jennings has all the qualities we're looking for and like Doug Baldwin's type position, but we also have another guy we feel like could be really explosive and provide us production uh, in DK Metcalf who we get in the back the second round. So um, there's all sorts of different ways of doing it and, and kind of building it. You know, I, I think you, know, you kind of attack it in a couple of different ways. So, that's more how I see it, but you know that that was one of the takeaways. I think, look, the, the defensive line lived up to its billing. They're the you know majority of the first round as far as edge rushers, interior defensive linemen. Then you look at the cornerback safeties. That was like a second, third round kind of deal for them. You started to see more wide receivers, running backs mixed in too. So it was just it was streaks of what you thought of that particular position that you saw throughout the course of the draft, depending on what round you're in. But either way, um, it was. Somewhat predictable in that regard, right? Like, I forget how many trades we had last year. I think we had eight or something like that, maybe more in the first round. First round was this boring. at six.
0: First round was boring. I didn't, th- I didn't think the first round was like I mean, it was just like, aside from Daniel, you know, Cleveland Farrell at four and Daniel Jones at six, I mean, it was basically pretty predictable. It moved quickly. There weren't a ton of trades. Uh, you know, teams were sort of grabbing the guys that we had as listed as top players. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of guys that snuck in there, but for the most part, it was, uh, it was fairly stale, I thought. Yeah, no, I just I think
1: that's what happens. You don't have the the very you know you don't have a team you don't have teams with a huge need for quarterbacks, and you don't have a quarterback class that people are raving about. You know, next year will be a different story. You could potentially have Tua, Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm, just to name three. I'm sure there's going to be maybe a couple others or some that we haven't heard about that pop up much like Kyler Murray did this year. So. Um, you know that, that's that's more the reality of of what that'll look like, but that'll be a much better class than what we had this year.
0: Tua is one to three to be the first overall pick next year. Uh, Jake Fromm and Justin Herbert seven to one. If you had to make a bet on one of those guys, which one would it be? Um,
1: I would take the odds for Justin Herbert for a couple reasons. One, there's more value there. Two, he should have a really good senior season. I mean, they've got ten guys coming back this year on offense. Um, and they're playing the Pac-12, so the combination of that being able to put up numbers, second year in the system, like they, they should be able to be just fine. He should take a a, a pretty decent step, um, and, and he should be able to have everything that you're looking for on film that would make you think he's going to be the guy. You know, I, I called his bowl game this past year. He's a big kid, man. He's every bit of six foot five, six foot six, strong arm. they're um, you know, not not the most talented passer, but. He, he can make all the throws with his arm strength, and you know he, he's a better athlete than what this offense that he's running at Oregon right now, you, you know, shows showcases or utilizes. But that's that's by design. It's not anything to do with the limitation that he has. It's just I don't think Mario Cristobal wants him running the football ton. So uh, all in all, I I would take the odds, and then and obviously the the edge there and having Justin Herbert go number one
0: overall. Yeah, one to three, not not very good odds. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break, then we'll come back, and we'll explain to you how to get off, how to deplane an airplane, and what free agents should land in what places. The all knew Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. All right. I don't know if there was a segue for the deplaning, but I, I am curious. You had you have some <laughs> stories in the draft. I like I like to hear your stories. It you feels like you got them pent up. Maybe your wife doesn't let you tell you the the weird, quirky thoughts you have about interactions with other humans is that is that is that the case?
1: Yeah, sometimes. So I, I took a red eye back. Um, actually, yeah, today I took a red eye back from where? Uh, and from from Arizona I had to go out for the uh, conference meetings for the Pac Big Ten, and, and, and Big Twelve. And uh, I, so I was I was sitting up closer to the front of the plane, and I had to I had to put my bag on my carry on up you know in the overhead uh, department or uh, compartment. And I I had to put it further back, probably like 10, 12 rows back pretty, pretty, pretty far away back. Right. Yep. Um, and so as as soon as the plane lands, right, I pop up, run back there and, and I get my bag. And so then as I'm starting to walk back forward, there's this old lady who's kind of out in the aisle now and she needs help with her bag. So I obviously help her down with it. And then I'm thinking like, okay, this is a kind gesture. You figured like she's going to let me go back past her. She <laughs> probably realizes my seat's in front of her. But no, she just stands there and she won't get out of the way or she won't move. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this, it's a little bit uncomfortable. I wanted to kind of say, hey, ma'am, you know, can I, can I move by? She was pretty old. So, I, and she was, you know, it wasn't like she, um, it was easy for her to make room for me. So, then it just became awkward. So now I'm just kind of standing there. And, I, and you know what I look like? I look like my biggest pet peeve with all those people who the plane lands, they run up, they grab their stuff, they run to the front of the plane. The guy, I, I, I looks like that guy. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I hate those people. It's so rude. They have no morals, no sense of, of, of like, hey, dude, if, if you wanted to get off the plane sooner, why don't you pay some extra bucks so you could sit up closer? To the front of the plane, then you jerk off. Mm. But anyway, <laughs> um, so did, now did, I look like that guy, though. Did you, did you start? People kind of just see me standing there.
0: Did you start sweating? No, in a panic? because I, I start sweating and there's, I'm like, I'm like I start panicking, like I'll like break out in a, in a sweat if I am in the airplane and I am like hovered over somebody and I am like, oh my god, I want to turn around and go, no, 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 I am not. I had to come back here to get my bag because the overhead was full up front, and I helped this lady, and now I am stuck in the whole plane is looking at me like a psycho. That's what I want to have happen, but it never does happen.
1: No, I, I don't sweat. I mean, I just feel uncomfortable because, like, I'm, I'm I'm big. I'm, like, usually a small plane in a small space. And all these people are trying to maneuver. And I'm just, like, standing there in their way. I'm like, yeah, look, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be here either right now. I'm supposed to be, like, ten rows up that way. So, um, anyway, I, I just kind of noticed that. And I was kind of thinking how just, like, unaware she was of, one, someone helping her and thinking, like, yeah, I, I didn't walk up from the back of the plane just to do this. Like, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. But I'm also trying to get back to my seat. So I get the rest of my crap so I don't hold up the rest of the plane and be considerate. So that was the first thing that I kind of realized, like, over my adventure in, in this past week in traveling. And then the other thing was,
0: well, before, and, you, and I, before, I, I, you, before you continue, I would like to point out that I think it was a very simple solution for this that I would like airlines to take. Uh, how about designated baggage space for each seat? You buy a seat, you get a bag space. I mean, just divide the like you got the red containers, and after a certain point, you know they're going to check your bag anyway. If you're in the back of the plane, you don't get it. You don't get a designated spot. But the first twenty five right. places should have a designated like sixteen F, and it, you get there, and you don't have to worry about jamming your bag in the different spots. You just it's, pop your bag. It's into a 16F. parking
1: spot for your bag. Right, it's a parking spot for your bag. You buy yeah, and, and the, I mean, and, look, yeah, it makes total sense. It's a great idea. Here's the problem: is I've got on planes before where the crew, the mm-hmm. crew of the plane will, will put their stuff in the overhead. And so you'll go to put it up there and you're like, I just got on this plane. Like I, I'm sitting in the first couple of rows yeah. and there's already crap up there. And, it, and it's the flight crew and which first off, it's kind of a, like a BS move because like, no offense to them. I get it. They're making sure we get from point A to point B, providing safety and instructions and all that. Go put your stuff in the back. It's not like you're getting off the plane before any passenger is. So <laughs> why does your stuff need to be in the front? that's my first question. And another thing is like you, again, you, you figure most of those customers are probably paying more to be there. So why, again, why would you take up their space? So you're making it more of an inconvenience for them. So anyway, but the other thing, the other thing, um, so <laughs> I, I ordered room service, right. For breakfast. And I can't help this, but this always happens to me. And I always laugh and giggle. I sometimes have big, big, you know, lunch or breakfast or dinner orders. And they'll always ask, how many people is this? How many people are dining? (laughs) And I always start laughing because I'm thinking this person thinks I'm a fat ass. Like they, they probably like, they're like, this person has to be like 900 pounds because of how much food he just ordered. Uh, this has to be for more than one person. And so I literally always giggle every time I, I like, I like, I'll call down. I ordered a breakfast and they're like, for how many people? And I just start giggling. I'm like one, (laughs) but but like every single time makes me laugh. There's times that I was so self-conscious. I would say two people, even though i like I'm the only one there, but it's just like I didn't want the other person on the phone to judge me for ordering so much food to be for one person.
0: I have a buddy who I'm not gonna name on here because it you know don't he don't don't want to you know gaslight him like that. He likes to go to Bojangles on Sundays when he's not feeling so hot, uh, and he'll roll through the drive through and he will order two sweet teas just so the people at Bojangles don't think that the massive food order that he's putting in is all for himself. Like he'll get like three biscuits and a chicken sandwich and order two sweet teas. So that way the people packing up the bag think that it's for multiple people instead of just him. That's how self-conscious he is.
1: <laughs> I love it. That that stuff is is too funny. It's like those little things that you don't think about that I just, I don't know, you find a little bit awkward from time to time, right? It's like I, I holding that. a door open for someone who's, like, 20 feet away. Oh, And then, the like, you you think, like, for example, like, hold, uh, hold the door open, tell them ready to check in the hotel, you know, the, the two nice ladies walk in, and then I'm thinking, okay, like, they're going to let me go ahead of them to check in the hotel. No, they just get right in the line to check in, and I'm going, wait. Like, there it was a chivalrous act. Like, I could have let the door close but instead I held it open for you. And then you're just going to jump ahead of me and not like acknowledge the fact that like I was here before you. It just, that
0: never makes sense. Um, So fifth year option guys, I'm trying to find a list of, uh, so anybody has a tracker of this? Oh man. Profootballrumors.com. Good on you guys for putting together a, a tracker list. I noticed that as we're talking two guys, we've seen it it's kind of surprising, honestly, uh, Jack Conklin tackle for the uh, Tennessee Titans The Titans have decided, per Adam Schefter of ESPN, not to pick up his option. And, um, then the other one, uh, Shaq Lawson of the Buffalo Bills 19th overall pick, defensive end, maybe not a huge surprise, uh, that I believe Mike Girafalo, uh, yeah, reported that, um, the Bills have decided not to pick up his fifth year option either. Are you, are you surprised when, when you see these, uh, when you see these various teams not picking up options for the most part? Conklin's going be the highest guy drafted that they won't pick up the option. Goff, Wentz, Bosa, Zeke Elliott, Jalen Ramsey, Ronnie Stanley, DeForest Buckner all, all picked up. No surprise there. Uh, Leonard Floyd as well. Eli Apple won't be picked up, the 10th overall pick. The Saints could have exercised his option after he was traded. Vernon Hargraves, yes. Sheldon Rankins, yes. Laramie Tunsell, yes. Carl Joseph, I would expect, yes. Corey, Corey Coleman cannot be picked up. Uh Taylor Decker, Keanu Neal, Ryan Kelly, Yes. Are you surprised when when you see these guys, even like a guy like Jack Conklin, who's had some nice years, uh, not not get his option picked up?
1: Yeah, I, I really am. When you think about the fact that Conklin first two years started all sixteen games, and I thought played at a pretty high level. You know, played a little left, played a little right, uh, his rookie year, um, and and I think I thought he played a really really high level his first year. So I think he made. Uh, I think he, he was a.
0: I think he was a first-team All-Pro. Yeah, he was a first-team All-Pro in 2016. It's pretty weird to see them not pick up his option like that, huh? Weird. Right, and look, I understand he was injured
1: last year, right? So he only started nine games, played nine games. But uh, that's a bit surprising, and I have no idea why. Maybe that has more to do with injury than anything else, or they just feel like he's declined since his rookie year. Uh, It's kind of hard to believe, though. I mean, considering what they invested into him, and they don't want to pick up the option. And and look, the fifth-year option is way more economical than – um, them trying to you know negotiate some sort of long-term deal and think about how much more lucrative that would be for him. I mean, you're, you're allowing him to get the free agency a, a year earlier, so uh, if, if you even were thinking about trying to keep him, that, that number's going to be astronomical compared to you know a fraction of that as far as his fifth-year option. So And it's weird, too. Like Teams will trade up in the first round just to get the, the control the fifth-year option yeah. for a player like that, so that's really surprised to me. Eli Apple was not that surprising only because it wasn't the team that drafted him, but you would figure that the Saints gave up compensation for Eli, so maybe they'd want to retain the right. I believe that number would going to be like 13 or 14 million, something like that.
0: Yep, 13 um, for his that's, a that's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot,
1: right? Well, it's a lot if you don't feel like he's playing up to that uh, that that uh, you know that, that level. Which look, I thought he had a pretty decent year last year between the, the, the Giants and the Saints. I, I thought he did okay, um, and so that one's I don't know, maybe a little bit surprising only because. You know, it's a team that's traded for him. You think they want to have more control over him moving forward, even at that number. Uh, And then the last one, that was Carl Joseph, who you mentioned. I don't know about that one. I Kind of mixed reviews about him. I personally would. I like him as a player. I think he's solid. But I'm not sure what Paul Gunther, their defense coordinator, is thinking if if Gruden thinks ultimately he's going to be worth keeping him there. I feel like they've tried to bring in a number of uh, defensive backs to – you know, kind of take over the majority of those nickel and dime packages, money packages, everything that comes along with it.
0: Yeah, and Carl Joseph, too, remember he was drafted by Reggie McKenzie, so maybe John Gruden wants to run him out of the building. The Conklin thing, too, is weird because tackles have been getting crazy money in free agency. I think you're probably right. It has to be injury because these, uh, these fifth-year options are guaranteed for injury only, meaning if Jack Conklin couldn't pass his physical to exit, 2000, the 2019 season, he'd probably be locked into that deal, uh, or maybe pass the physical in the offseason. Whereas, um, you know, like if he, you know, if he gets hurt now, they could maybe re-sign him to a cheaper deal or something like that. So maybe it's an injury concern. That's weird to let a guy who made an all-pro his rookie season walk out the door, uh, that potentially walk out the door. We'll see after 2019. Uh, there are a bunch of free agents out there, Brady, too, that have yet to sign. You and I were talking about this before. When you look at the list, and you helpfully provided it, even with like, did you copy and paste that? You texted me with a list of like like stars next to the names, which leads me to believe that either you're uh, typing on your computer or you're just a super organized person, or you copied and pasted it from somebody else.
1: So I had a longer list that I pared down. And so I copied a page from my own list and then put stars next to the guys that stood out more to me um, who were still out there as far as potential free agents. So that, that's where the list came from. But um, and we don't need to focus on all those names because some of them, you know, like, like J. H. i I'm not necessarily sure, you know, anyone's viewing him as kind of as big of a, a free agent name right now in the running back market, especially with his, his injury histories and everything else. He's dealt with his knee, even though he's been a productive player. But a dominant like dominant is still out there. Yeah. Playing awesome in the playoffs. And I, uh, I think the psychology of a player at that point, a guy who's made a lot of money, he's played for, um, you know, a team that went to the super bowl. I'd be curious to see now what his next step is, because it's not like he took a huge discount to go to the Rams. I believe he made like 14 million last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what do you want to go to new England? You know, what, what do you want to be? want to be part of that culture, part of that team where they're going to make a practice every day. Like, it's not like the LA Rams where he could just go and sit out all week and then go play in, in games. You know, that was kind of more of the Sean McVay treatment. It's, it's not like that in New England. So, uh, is he willing to take a pay cut potentially? Is he willing to go to a place that grinds a little bit different? Uh, or is this a scenario where you see like a Dobrik and Sue, someone like that, just sail off in the sunset and he, he's good the way he is? I don't know. Uh,
0: worth noting, it's possible that Sue is one of those guys where – Everyone expects him, or he expects to sign for such a certain amount of money, and he expects to get a certain amount of snaps, that teams will wait till after May 7th, which I believe is the the date at which, uh, like, doesn't count for the compensatory formula, right? So like, you can go out and sign in Dominican Sue, and not have it hit, like, if you sign Dominican Su this offseason, it's probably going to ding you a little bit on, on under compensatory formula. If you were to sign him right now, if you wait till after May seventh, he's a guy who could be a good value. Some other, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Like he's, it's it seems crazy that he's out there. He's been the like one of the crown jewels of multiple free agent classes over the last few years. Uh, Eric Barry is still out there. He's of course suffered battle cancer, um, suffered an ACL. He is like sneaky older. I, I forgot he, he got he's like got drafted in like 2010, which is Kind of wild when you think about it. I, I didn't. Feel, I didn't feel like he was that old. You know what I mean? Like you, you think about Eric Berry and he's playing at a high level. And he, I mean, he's, he turned thirty in December. He's he's not a not a young buck.
1: He's not a spring chicken. Spring as I, as chicken,
0: say. yeah, spring chicken, young buck. They they hang out together.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it'd be so appropriate though. Like J.B. Collins is on this list. If he just ended up right back in New England. Or, I mean, <laughs> it actually benefits him that, like, Matt Patricia and Brian Flores, like, all these guys have moved on from New England because he'd fit immediately into their scheme. He'd know their, their verbiage and all that. So he's a guy to kind of keep your eye on. And, and again, they'll get him at a more economical deal. Shane Ray is an interesting one. You know, a guy who, like, kind of flashed some ability, but ultimately he's, like, never really, you know, hit home and been the guy they thought he was going to be. I wonder if a team like Seattle would kick the tires on him. You know, they, they were sniffing around Ziggy Ansais on, on this list. But I wonder if Shane Ray would maybe make a little bit more sense from a scheme perspective, but also for what their need is, and if they could get him for some good value.
0: Yeah, and remember Seattle has done a nice job of of managing to combine every single player from the 2013 NFL draft class. Maybe they can next uh, set their eyes on the 2015 NFL draft class. Uh, actually, Ziggy Ansa was the 2013 NFL draft class. They got to lock him down. You got to get Mingo Ansa. Uh they 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 ended up getting a bunch of people from that terrible draft class. And Pete Carroll of course coached
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um what you what you hate to remember is um Ziggyance is like thirty years old, right? He came into the league at twenty four. That's what happens when you play football at BYU. You end uh, up getting into the league when you're like your mid twenties.
0: That's a great point. He'll he'll be uh oh my goodness, he'll turn thirty this year. And that's I don't, right. I, don't I don't know if, like six years. Does everybody believe that he's only thirty? I don't think everybody does. I feel like there's some buzz that he might be a little bit older than perhaps was let on. It's like, is, oh,
1: geez that's not like a like like a Tinder profile gone wrong. You know, some guy trying to cheat himself a couple years.
0: Yeah, no, 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 like a like a like a, like, like there's old school baseball player. You know, the baseball players would be like, "Yeah, I'm 18." It's like you, sir, you have, <laughs> sir, you're not 18. Like you have a beard and yeah. you're, and you're seven feet tall. Uh, may, I mean, maybe he's not. I mean, who? Who knows? I just know that, I I know there's something about, something about that, I think. But yeah, you're right. He's 30 years old. I mean, we're talking about an older player here. It's, it's crazy how the NFL just moves away from those guys. Michael Crabtree is somebody who, you know, I mean, doesn't have his top-end speed, but not not necessarily ever really did have top-end speed. And you feel like he's he's somebody who could fit with New England too, in terms of they need a a big-body guy who can maybe uh, be a red zone weapon. I could see him fitting in there. It's funny how
1: we always go to New England, right? Because this is what they do. They wait till like – Jamie Collins is like a perfect example because, you know, he ends up going somewhere else, gets a bunch of money in free agency, and then it doesn't really work out in the long run. And then he finds his way back to New England, and they end up getting uh, basically almost the same player, just a little older, maybe a little more wear and tear, but for a more economical price. And they end up plugging him in, he plays well, and the rest is history. It's just funny how it always works out that way for New England – I'm just waiting to see what the next team is going to be that they will like implement that strategy and actually execute on it. Uh,
0: by the way, speaking of free agents, uh, Doug Martin expected to sign or has may have already signed by the time you're listening to this with the Oakland Raiders after Isaiah Crowell uh, tore his Achilles, according to Adam Schefter, which means that, I mean, look, the timing is pretty good for the Raiders. It sucks that he, anybody tears their Achilles in early May or or, or late April, but Happening right after you drafted a running back in the first round, and Josh Jacobs, not terrible timing, one would presume. And look, it sucks for Crowell, obviously, but you would assume that the Josh Jacobs now is a uh, a very highly valued asset in, in in the Raiders room, even though you know he is a running back. Um, who? Uh, who? Anybody else? Oh, actually, you know what? Uh, Joel Corey wrote a uh, literally just posted on CBS. Sports.com, a uh, fifth-year option for for all the players and all the teams for every single player involved. So I could have referenced him instead of Pro Football Rumors. My B, Joel. Um, what uh, what do you think about uh, the old? I don't want to get into you know messing around with ESPN and and all the decisions they make as it re, as it re regards their broadcast. But I do think Monday Night Football is a big enough thing in, in American culture and and football culture that it's worth noting. They have decided that the booth, they're not going to add anybody else. They're going to pick up pick Booger, get it, and move him to the booth. And uh with Joe Tessator, where Tess and Boogs are gonna hang out during the game. No more Jason Whitney's back with the Cowboys and then Lisa Salter's on the sideline. What are what are your thoughts on the way they're handling sort of that approach? With this, uh, with this Monday Night Football?
1: Uh, they're going with Booger Sugar, man. Uh, that's what they're going with. That's what we're going to call it. So test, test some Booger Sugar, and we'll, we'll, we'll see how it works out. I mean, I did think their broadcast got better when uh, Booger moved up to the booth, and, and I also thought Jason Witten was was better when they did that. It seemed to work out a little bit better for all parties involved. Uh, but it, it's interesting. I mean, look, they, they obviously tried to go after Paid Manning. They tried to go after Greg Olsen. They, you know, at least rumored to have. Uh, it seems like Greg still wants to play. Uh, It just, it it seems like they couldn't really figure out what they wanted to do. And, you know, they're just kind of sticking with what they have. And that's not a bad thing. You know, I think ultimately, you know, Tess and and Booger could end up being a a better tandem than maybe people realize. Bottom line is though, if if you're going to tune in to watch that game, you tune in to watch the product, you tune in to watch the matchup. You're not tuning in, you know, to, to see who's necessarily calling it. You hope those people do a really good job. And you hope those people appreciate the analysis and the insight and that's what I'm going to be looking for. I, I, want, I want to see now that Booger's going to have a much bigger platform and stage to provide insight and all that. How does he handle it? You know, for a guy who played in the trenches, it's not easy to do because typically you don't see the game in a bigger picture and can add the type of insight that quarterbacks do. That's why, look, Tony Romo's number one at CBS, Troy Aikman's number one at Fox. You, you go to um, you know NBC with Chris Collinsworth, and granted, he's done it for a long time, but you know, he sees it from the outside looking in, right? He sees it from a wide receiver's perspective is what it used to be. And then he's gotten more analytical and he's gotten more into the X's and O's. Uh, I think the older he's gotten. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's hard. It's hard to make it as a guy who played his, is football in the trenches because you're not as aware of, you know, why quarterbacks make certain decisions, right? You might be able to say it's a bad decision or it's a good decision. Right. But I think we all at home can figure that out. So it's going to be. I'll be curious to see how the Booger Sugar does.
0: Yeah, I uh, I think it'll be an improvement, and not not because they they rolled Jason Witten out of there, but I think the whole concept of having three guys working together for the first time with minimal practice, and one of those guys not being in the booth, and one of those guys also making his first transition from being a player to being a broadcaster is just, and one of the, the other guy making a transition from the college game to the pro game. You know, it was just too much to ask. You're doing, you've got too many moving parts. I mean, look, like I'm not tooting our own horn here, but the way, you know, talk about Tony Romo is just fit in seamlessly. Look, Tony Romo was, he did. I mean, he was incredible. But part of it being seamless was you go back and read about how he and Jim Nance practiced. They did a ton of reps together leading up to the, the you know, leading up to the season. Tony Romo, you know, was, and it was just him at Jim Nance. And Jim Nance has done this for a million years with a million different people. And, you know, he, he's worked, you know, he works in golf where he's used to, you know, he calls, he calls the, the rounds of Faldo, but you're also, you know, incorporating so many different voices and you know how to blend yourself easily with guys. And, and that's just, a, it's just, you're not on, you're not on the one primetime game a week. And so, um, you know, I think, I think it's just, it was just a lot to ask for last year's Monday Night Football booth. And I think this year will be an improvement. Um, but it's Monday Night Football and people are going to nitpick it if it's not perfect. And, um, part of that, part of that falls a little bit on the producers too. I thought that, I think that a lot of times those Monday Night Football games and, um, you know, maybe more so than Sunday Night Football games, they tend to try, Brady, to lean on narrative more so than football, and I think that's a mistake. Let the game carry it, talk about football, and just make it an enjoyable viewing experience when people are talking about a game.
1: Yeah, I think the unfortunate part for that is that that's what Monday Night Football has become with, with, you know, Thursday Night Football now and the flex scheduling for NBC on Sunday Night Football, it's kind of an afterthought. And I think people who are, whether you're a gambler, a fantasy guy, or people who just, like, love football, if, you're, if your week starts Thursdays watching football and you're, then you're factoring in Saturday college football, Sunday all day, Sunday night, but by the time you get around to Monday, man, you're a little bit fatigued. And so you've really got to have an incentive to watch. And that's either got to be based on, um, you know to your point, the analysis, and it being about football, not so many narratives, and there's all this other BS that people – but people just had a Monday at work, right? They want to be able to go back to the bar, go back home, have a beer, sit down, and watch football and forget about the fact that they got four days left of the flipping week, man, uh, that they got to get through. So uh, I think, you know, that that's part of it too in my mind is it, it, besides the, the talent and how they, the chemistry they had, uh, besides the production of it and all that, or even the matchups, especially late in the season when they can't really control it and sometimes there's just crappy matchups. Yeah. Uh, there's also that, you know, portion of, of what they're talking about and ESPN kind of taking a direction with the narrative of, all the crap that like people don't want to talk about or listen to uh, instead of just talking about the game of football. And so now, I'll be curious to see if if they'll change their way, at least in that regard, moving forward or if, if they'll keep kind of going outside of the game of football to talk about, um, you know, whatever it is that they feel like is more topical or, or people want to hear about. And the worst problem is I think a lot of times people gauge this off of Twitter and like, that's such a bad indication mm. of anything. Like, to sit there and allow nameless, faceless people on Twitter to determine how you do something and actually like has any impact, to me, that's boneless, and it's, it's never, it, that's never good leadership. It's never going to lead you to success.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Good, great point. Um, okay, let's get out of here. I've got to go, uh, go lead, be a leader, take my son to soccer practice. Very exciting stuff. You've got to, uh,
1: yeah. I bet you're. Gonna... You, you gotta get ready before you guys go to uh, Disney World, man.
0: That's right. Uh, don't ruin the surprise. I hope you didn't listen to this podcast. You know what my favorite ride
1: was? It's, it's nice. a small world. After all, I remember like when I was really young, and for whatever reason, my sisters and I, we, like, we got in there, and kind of rode around in a little float or whatever. And I was like, "This is like fun." Like we probably did it like eight times or something. It was, when, it was weird.
0: When's the really last? Like it. I liked Small World too. I, I didn't like Space Mountain. It scared the crap out of me. I don't really do roller coasters. When's the um? When's the last time you were in Disney World? Because it's been, I mean, I'm not kidding, twenty plus years for me.
1: Um, I mean, well, I went down to college for those award shows, but we actually Smarge and I usually skip out on them, and we usually just go out and try to like hit the town and go party a little bit. So you know, we usually. We usually try to tried to get out of any uh, any sort of amusement park obligation that we had, so there's some sort of excuse built in.
0: <laughs> that checks out. Uh, I'm just expecting it to be like totally different from a technological and like you know like like you remember Disney World? There was like some basic stuff that it was pretty cool and it was awesome and all that, but I expect this to be to sort of blow me away with just how uh, how like. Like the the approaches change and how they're all cranked up from a tech standpoint and how you can, you know, it'll be seamless. And, and it's probably not going to be any of those things. It's probably going to be an S show for me and my family, but, but, you know, we'll have fun. We'll, uh, excited for that. Just them. buy, splurge on whatever that fast pass is. I heard that's the key. As We've long got, as you can just splurge have, on
1: it, however much it costs, man, get it.
0: We got a, uh, you can actually, you, my Mickey vacations is a thing you can do and you can have a planner set up the whole thing for you. And, it, and, like, Disney pays her. It doesn't cost you extra. And so, if I mean, we did that, and it was way better than I remember. I remember my mom and dad fighting, you know, fighting about the itinerary and you know, everybody getting in a huff and puff. We got everything laid out. We got all these fast passes. We got some photo things set up. It should be uh, hopefully as seamless as possible. And uh, I've been informed they sell booze all over the park, so I'm going to get blackout at Disney.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll enjoy it, man. Don't,
0: don't have too much fun, though. Make sure you watch the kid. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, Brady, I'll talk to you next week, buddy. Oh, two weeks. What am I talking yeah. last?